Well, hello, White Sox fans, and welcome to another edition of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. I'm here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, had a great weekend, uh, spent some time with some friends, and uh, got to uh, go down to the old Archer Avenue cruise night on Friday night and see some old cars and eat some food from some food trucks and hot dog carts and popcorn carts and the whole nine yards. Uh, you know, and myself being a uh, car guy of sorts, uh, pretty interesting stuff going on down there, man. How about uh, you? How was your weekend? I was all right. Um, did a couple of shows, mixed some, uh, mixed some music, and uh, that was good time. Um, yeah, I did a show down at Bourbon Street down in Marionette Park over in your neck of the woods. Uh, yeah, I am uh, sorry I did not make that because uh, I do happen to know the lead singer of the band that you uh, mix for and you know, hadn't seen him in some time, and I was planning on getting out of that show and uh, just kind of forgot all about it and instead, you know, did the car thing. <laughs> yeah. So. No, it was good. It was good. It was a, it was a fun time. Um, I enjoyed myself. Uh, I don't get to mix um, original music so much anymore, so it's, it's nice to get out there and do some original music, you know, as opposed to... Uh, you know, the normal cover band scene that uh, I uh, engineer for a lot. Um, right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, all things considered, that and uh, I missed my kids' doubleheader on Friday, which was a bummer because they played, a, you know, played two and won 39-1, to one, you know, in uh, two different what? games. Yeah, so uh, I had to miss, I, you know, unfortunately I missed that, which is, you know, a bummer. Um, I did get to go on Saturday though, and I think they won like something like twenty-five to nine or something. So, you know, got to see some some stuff. So that was that was fun. Um, sounds a uh, sounds a little bit like the White Sox offense here lately. Something like that. Uh, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> hey man, it, you know, as we were talking about before stream, at least they're scoring some runs. I mean, there have been some uh, some doozies here that we're going to, that we're, you know, no doubt going to talk about. Um, Indeed. But, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, at least the offense is scoring some runs. Um, I would say that probably a lot of that, you know, you could say, oh, well, you know, the weather's warmer and uh, everybody's starting to uh, warm up a little bit. But I don't know, man. Uh Kind of the way I look at it is, you know, as as soon as the lineup stopped being really, really dumb, uh, it seems like the offense picked up. I mean, it's strange how that works, huh? When you put all the good hitters yeah. near each other and uh, and then hitting is contagious. So uh, it just continues on through the lineup. And even the guys that aren't hitting, you know, at least manage to uh, be semi-productive. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, there's been some talk, uh, you know, about uh, maybe, the, uh, you know, a, a stiff, strongly worded conversation maybe was had with Tony at some point because, you know, it just seems like overnight we got, it was something like 
five out of the last six games, we had uh, lineups that looked like they were constructed the way most folks would construct them. And, uh, you know, it's just strange to uh, to see how that happens. So not rather quickly and consistently over the last week, aside from one where, you know, you got that scred hatcher, the head scratcher, the scred hatcher, scred the, hatcher, the head yes. Scratcher. Yeah, just that one. <laughs> Uh, you got the, uh, the head scratcher lineup stuck in the middle there. I think it was what Thursday night, yeah. Friday night, one of those where you went, well, we had, you know, like four or five days in a row where we had this lineup that looked like the way it was supposed to. And then you get that weird lineup again that we've been seeing a lot of early on this season and you go, wait a minute, what happened? It's Saturday. Of course, Cause I think fr- was, Friday there was a good, there was a good lineup. And then Saturday it was uh, one of those, uh, was, one of those weird ones. Wednesday. Yep, maybe one. it was, I think it was actually Wednesday, I think against the Dodgers. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. It was, and you know, the White Sox get their head beat in and you, you go, well, look at that. You know, imagine sure. that. They yeah. go out and they win, they win three straight. They take a couple from the Rays. They get Monday off. And then, uh, they roll into town and they start the uh, series against the Dodgers, which I was at that game, by the way. Uh, hung out with some friends and the wife and uh, enjoyed a, a, a really good White Sox game on Tuesday night. Brought home a winner. Uh, and then Wednesday, I look at the lineup and I went, you know, what the heck happened? I guess Tony just felt like three wins in a row was enough, you know, time to knock the guys back down to earth and, and make sure that they know they're human and they, they can't win them all. Yeah. Sitting uh, Vaughn. You know. Yeah. Cause that, uh, Putting, you uh, know, he needs that, uh, needs that extra day off, uh, other than third. the actual day off that they had the day before. I think he took Monday. burger out of that lineup. Uh, AJ Pollock had two hits the night before and he sat. I'm yeah. pretty sure. I thought Berger was in there, but uh, he was like, uh, yeah, he, it was him and Mendick were like the two guys that were in the, him, Mendick and Abreu were like the three that were in the lineup. But if I remember correctly, they were spaced out like really, really bizarrely. Yeah, I do believe you're right. As opposed to, uh, you know, just putting them all near (laughs) each other in the lineup as they are the best hitters, you know, among the three best hitters on the team. And then you spread them out across the lineup and surprise, surprise, you know, the, you know, it's one of those things that we've mentioned over and over again is that when uh, an important at bat comes up, you know, it always seems to be somebody that is getting that at bat that not necessarily shouldn't be in that spot or yeah, it's just aggravating. But, um, yeah, like you said, things are getting better-ish. Yeah, you know, consistently we're seeing, right, we're seeing more lineups that uh, look how we would hope or expect they look. And, uh, you know, right along with that, this team is uh, scoring runs in bunches. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, even as they're scoring runs in bunches, we had two games that went into extra innings with the exact same result, uh, with a score of eleven to nine, and the White Sox coming out on the losing end. Uh, you know these guys. I mean, they've had more extra innings games this early in the season than I think it feels like than they had all year last year. You know, it just feels that way. And I'm not. I'm not looking at the actual numbers, but you know, there's been a ton 
of extra inning games already this year. And you kind of hope that when you score, you, you've got a five to nothing lead and a seven to four lead going late into games. You, you kind of hope that you don't see extras. But of course, uh, you know, there have been some weird pitching decisions now where we've seen guys get yanked out of games or getting left in the die or, you know, it's just uh, the conundrums don't seem to uh, stop. You know, I, I, it's it's very odd to me how we can fix one uh, aspect of the way this team's being managed and kind of fall off a cliff on the other side. So, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I kind of do. You know, um, earlier in the season, we said that the team was kind of being, um, you know, getting their legs cut out from underneath them with the lineup decisions. And now the lineups are looking better, yet we see, you know, odd decisions with pitchers. Um, uh, We'll go back to, I guess we might as well just talk about this now. And this is going to start, you know, a little bit of a conversation, but, um, uh, you know, you... (laughs) You have Trey Turner for the Dodgers mm. at one and two, and well, actually, you had him o two, and then uh, yeah, and then a, a slider gets away um, from it was Souza, and uh, Tony makes the executive decision that once it gets to one and two, that he's going to intentionally walk Trey Turner. Because Trey Turner in one and two counts is scary, and if you can avoid it, you do. And, you know, not only, A, is he taking, like, career numbers, not this year's numbers, but he's also completely discounting the fact that Souza, as a left-handed pitcher, has reverse splits and is better against righties than lefties. Right. He does not throw well against lefties. He you know, not. yeah, and then if I think it was four or five pitches later, uh, Munchie Max launches a pitch into the stands, and um, he had some choice words for the uh, White Sox bench as he came around to third base as well. <laughs> he did. Um, I won't mention that in here. And as uh, Pusher Robot mentions in the chat, says that decision was so bad it made the news. And the thing is, is you flip over to the Dodgers broadcast and you know they're wondering what the heck Tony LaRusso is doing and this comes you know you know also they're criticizing him uh, i think it was the was it, i think it was that game where Larry Garcia was the leadoff hitter yep and um, was it that? Yeah, that was the first of the. Uh, the first. Was, the second, was that the second? second that was the second game. Okay, so second yeah, game of the Dodgers series. Yeah, so they're wondering why Tony Larusa insists on putting Larry in the leadoff spot, which is clearly something that we've been wondering. Um, you know, just the the placement in the lineup of Larry Garcia, just at the insistence of uh, this this goon. Um, 
Um, and I mean, I sit here with a goofy smile on my face. There he is. The old TLR turkey trot. All right. The TLR 5K happening on your screen. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just the the weirdest obsession with, with this dude uh, that TLR has, um, you know, saying, oh, well, you know, uh, he looked, uh, All right. you know, I, I saw something from him. And, uh, you know, we're going to go ahead and, uh, you know, I, you know, I saw something. So, uh, and he says he's feeling better. So, um, so I, I put him in the, in the lead off spot and, you know, like the thing was, is that he says that he feels better, but his split OPS plus went in, in the, in the last couple weeks had actually gone down three points. Mm-hmm. From a 12 to a 9. I mean, he's going from historically bad to historically worse in those two <laughs> in those two weeks. And he, you know, he's trying to sell everybody this nonsense that that Lairi's feeling better, which, you know, he has a couple of hits tonight and uh got ourselves a, a nice uh MVP to uh second MVP to home run of the night. Um, which is this one to dead center. Yeah, dead center. I mean, that's and that is a cavernous not, outfield as well. Say, not easy to do at uh, Comerica. Yeah, not that place is huge. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's <laughs> you know, you, like you said, you know, we had a couple of days of of decent lineups, and then he goes and makes that lineup. And then on top of it, he's intentionally walking Trey Turner with two strikes and one ball to get to Max Muncy, who hits left-handers really, really well. And yeah, outside of this year's numbers, because yeah. he, he is coming off of a, a, a pretty fair enough. But injury. if you're going to ignore no. this year's numbers with Trey Turner, right. why would you pay attention to the numbers for this year with Max Muncy? Come, and then. Like you said, you ignore Bennett Souza's numbers on his reverse splits for exactly. you know righty versus lefty. Yeah, knowing that uh, you your your lefty reliever throws better against righties, he, he pretty much ignored everything. And then he has the balls to uh, when the media asked him in the post game show, the post game interviews, you know, uh, if he could elaborate on that and tony has the balls to say well is there some sort of question that that wasn't a good decision well yeah there's there's quite a bit of questions that that wasn't a good decision yeah i mean at the very least if you don't want to pitch this guy because you like you don't like his numbers on a one and two count which by the way he hits 256 on a one and two count he's got like a six something ops plus whatever it was uh, you know, fine, whatever. But if you don't want to pitch to him, you don't want to throw him a meatball, you know, maybe throw three sliders in the dirt and hope that your catcher is good enough to stop the ball. Something. And maybe you get a swing out of in- this guy. Maybe instead of automatically just walking him. Right. Well, the numbers support the fact that it, that it, that he's wrong in a way that when you intentionally walk a batter historically, when you intentionally walk a batter, that uh, it's usually 
fairly catastrophic. It, it, intentional walks have almost gone away in baseball for that reason. The numbers suggest that when, and whenever you give somebody a free base like that, it usually does not work out in your favor. So, again, another statistic, another uh, set of analytics that Tony just decided to ignore. Yeah, it's it's really odd, you know. Usually when a manager makes decisions based on numbers, they generally like to have as many numbers to factor in as possible before making a decision. And, you know, with him, it seems to be that he gets one number in his head. And, you know, like, and the thing was is that he's like, well, you know, all the analytics people, you know, if you're going by the numbers, you look at this number. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, you're completely ignoring all the other numbers that are in the opposite direction that are and are worse. probably more significant. Yeah, exactly. I it, like just their value in that situation. So, <laughs> <sighs> and so there uh, after after this kind of thing, uh, and you know, of course, this three run home run ends up being the winning three runs. The White Sox end up losing eleven to nine, I believe. Indeed. And uh, without that three run home run. White Sox win 9-8, you know, of course, you know, your hindsight on that, you know, that, that that's what the outcome would have been. But, you know, I mean, I, like you said, you know, it's like when, when these really, really stupid decisions are made, it seems like they're always backfiring. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm really just trying to, uh, you know, bite my lip as much as possible on this because again i don't want to spend all night going oh yeah well as i we mean so often do but i mean this is one of those ones where you kind of almost have to talk about it a little bit because it has got the entire baseball world scratching their head yeah uh i mean you've got espn writing articles about it this isn't just you know it was said in the chat that you know this whole thing made the news well it didn't just make the news it made national headlines yes you know, uh, every baseball outlet in the world was talking about this. Buster Posey was talking about how, you know, Tony LaRussa was given this job because of Jerry Reinsdorf feeling like he had to right a wrong in his firing almost 40 years ago, 36 years before he rehired him. And Buster Posey wasn't even Buster only. I'm sorry, Buster. I'm sorry, Buster only. You're correct. He was announcing a Baltimore Orioles game that had nothing to do nothing with the White Sox. Yeah. Yet it came up in the broadcast during the game. And I mean, you know, come on. We there there's zero going on with the White Sox in that broadcast. Zero. Yet he felt the need to talk about why Tony LaRusso was the manager of the White Sox. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, and like the you thing know? was is that you look on Twitter and people are, you know local people here are like well duh you know of course we've known that for you know you know welcome to last year and it's like well yeah okay but this is a national broadcast and uh you know maybe not everybody pays attention to the white Sox like white Sox twitter which i know shocking um right <laughs> but uh yeah no i mean it's just it, it's embarrassing and just ridiculous and 
you know, it inspired uh, the stadium to, uh, you know, has been a chorus of Fire Tony chants for a couple of games now. Um, and... Let me ask you this before you get too deep into that. How? Yeah. What is your feeling about the Fire Tony chant? I was going to ask you the same thing, actually. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the the thing is, you know, I... As paying customers, <clears throat> I feel that the fans have the right, absolutely have the right to voice their opinion. And it's, you know... The fact that it has taken this long for these chants to start popping up is actually, like, I'm actually pretty impressed, you know? Because with how poorly this team's played and with some of the, just the absolutely boneheaded things that he's done, you know, the fact that it's taken this long for, for these chants to pop up is uh, they've shown some pretty good restraint, I have to say, you know. So I, I do know. Uh, now I did hear on the radio today um, on Parkins and Spiegel. Um, Danny Parkins was asking if White Sox fans feel vindicated by the fire Tony chants that are going on in the stands, and I guess my my thought is is like. Like I said, I think that the fans have every right to voice displeasure when your entire franchise has been derailed by the owner, you know, whether it be uh, financial decisions or whether it be hiring his, uh, you know, his out his out of work buddy, uh, <laughs> you know, to come run the team that hasn't been in baseball, you know, oh, okay. I'll take that back. It's not that he hasn't been in baseball. He's been in baseball. Um, But, you know, like I said, uh, not, yeah, like not in the dugout, not managing for a dozen years. And you bring him back and, uh, and it's all backfiring. And it's just, you know, you have this young team that has so much vibrance. And then you bring this guy in and it's just like immediately there was just this bad vibe around the entire team you know where, where the where all the players on the team are having to field questions about how they feel about this guy managing the team i mean that right there is just kind of you know it's just starting everything off on a bad foot and then yep. a few days later you know you get the news of the dui you know, and that just causes all 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 sorts of other problems. You know, uh, all sorts of social media you know problems, and you know, then Jeff uh, Jeff Passan from ESPN, who was uh, gleefully tweeting about the uh, one two intentional walk. Um, you know, then he rears his head and he starts coming after Tony hard after that DUI news comes out, and he breaks the news and all that stuff. And I mean, it's just. It's been one thing after another. But to answer the question, do I feel vindicated by that? No. I don't understand why I would feel vindicated by that, because I know that there's probably zero chance 
that it's going to mean anything. I mean, the, the only, you know, some people say that it's in bad taste and some people are like, oh, that's, you know, that's Bush League and whatever, whatever. I, I don't care what, you know, what, whether you think it's Bush League or not. Just the, the problem is, is that no matter what, it, se- it seems like w- no matter what the results are, that Jerry is going to keep things going status quo. You know, everything's normal. And uh, so, no, I don't feel any vindication by it at all. How do you, how do you feel about it? So the reason I ask this is I've seen a handful of posts and it's been a small handful because I feel like probably I won't call it a large majority of the fan base, but uh, probably a majority of the fan base is in agreement with the, with the chant. To an extent, uh, I don't know that all of them would go to a game and join the chant, but I think many of them have the feeling that, you know, Mr. LaRussa needs to see his way out. Uh, but, uh, you know, in these posts, it's like uh, it's classless, you know, to go to a White Sox game and call your manager out. And, you know, how do you think that makes the players feel and the pitcher that's in the game feel? And, you know, we should look at, you know, we've talked about this before on the show too. We should look at the players' performance, and you gotta wonder though. Here's, you know, why are their players performing the way they are? Yes, there are players underperforming. Yes, Yasmani Grandal is having a, a career year in the wrong direction. He is absolutely struggling to get through to where he is in this point of the season. Uh, you know, and there's a handful of guys that we can point that finger at. You know. We saw the Josh Harrison signing, and we thought, okay, well, at least we got a guy that can play second base. It's his most natural position on the field. Uh, And, you know, we hope that he hits somewhere near his career norms, and he hasn't done that. Uh, You know, they signed Leary Garcia to a three-year contract, excuse me, and you hope that Leary Garcia can be, you know, the utility man that he's been. But, you know, emphasis on utility man. And you see these things, and, and, you know, players aren't performing. Okay, Gavin Sheets didn't perform. Well, now he's gone. Uh, you know, I have a feeling that you were going to see a few of these guys probably make their way uh, down to AAA or, or get a release at some point. But, uh, you know, the reality is, is, as far as the chant goes, um, I don't feel like it's classless. And my reason is, is, you know, the same thing that we've talked about in the past is fans have been led to believe for since the beginning of this, this, you know, rebuild that we could say started, you know, middle end of 2016, honestly, almost six years ago now. Uh, and we were told it was going to be a four to five year window where they were going to become competitive, which they did, you know, 2020 kind of, you know, shortened season, obviously a little bit of an anomaly there, but, uh, you know, they make the playoffs 2021. They go ahead and make the playoffs. They had two very bad early first round exits, uh, you know, offensively pitching the whole nine yards. You know, we can talk about that game three against Oakland, Ricky Renteria and his, his, <laughs> his pitching debacle that that was. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the reality is, is this team was sold to everyone quite hard in every press conference, in every TV interview, every article, newspaper interview, whatever you want to talk about it, everything we were sold was that this is going, we're going for it. We are going for it. We are all in 
on trying to build a World Series contender. And, you know, fans bought into it. I bought into it. I was 100% sold. And the way everything started out at the beginning of that rebuild, I thought, here we go. Finally, the fire sale that many of us have been calling for for a couple of years before that, you know, so many people, oh, we don't want to get rid of Chris Sale. We don't want to get rid of this person. We don't want to get rid of that person. But Rick Hahn went out and made some moves that made people feel like, okay, we are going for it. It's going to happen. And now here we are watching Tony La Russa squander a team that, you know, regardless of injuries, he's had a lineup that should have been put together even with those injured players, and we haven't seen him do that. So the frustration comes from all the time that fans have invested in this. You know, if like you and I and all the other fans that really kind of live and breathe and die White Sox have spent a lot of time following all this and a lot of passion talking about it, you know, whether you're doing a podcast or a stream or writing about it like the bloggers are out there, or if you're just in the bar somewhere talking about it with your buddies, you know, you had this energy of like, finally, finally. And now you're feeling like, eh, no, I, I don't know if we're ever going to really get finally. And the frustration's real. And you know what? To voice it, go for it. Do your thing. Will I join in that chant while I'm at the game? Probably not. But if you feel the need to do that, I am not going to talk down to you about doing it. And that's pretty much where I stand on that. Because yeah. I am just as frustrated as you guys are. The ones that are out there doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's been... Uh... It's been an ugly couple of months, and you know, like the, you know, you mentioned the fact that uh, there's been lots of underperforming players, but let's also mention that yeah, there were a lot of underperforming players, but the second that the lineup started looking like the lineup should have been since day one, magically, the team started scoring runs and everybody started hitting. Right. You know, and I'm, they're, they're performing. Could Imagine. be coincidence, you know, of course. It's not like anybody, you know, I mean, Danny Mendick and Jake Berger, yeah. You know, they have been driving the offense pretty well for the last week, two weeks. Um, but, you know, it's pretty amazing that as soon as the lineups start to look semi-normal over the last, like, you know, two weeks that everybody else started to kind of, you know, I mean, you know, they're not looking like world beaters out there, but, uh, you know, at least it looks no, like a I mean, competent offense to a point. You're putting up six, eight, nine runs of nearly every game. I mean, you're at least you're talking, I think it was what, six or more runs in six out of the last seven games. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, including tonight. Uh, you know, White Sox winner. Yes, yes. White Sox beat the Tigers. Uh, unfortunately, they're not one of the teams ahead of us in the division, but it's always good to get a divisional win. Free win, I guess, you know. Right. But, uh, free ish. <laughs> when you're looking at a, a record here, we are mid June, and you're looking at a White Sox record that puts you behind the Guardians. The Guardians. Nobody in their right mind picked the Guardians to be in second place in this division at any point during this season. And yet here we are 
and the White Sox are trailing the Guardians by four games. You're solidly in third place in the middle of June. Yeah, meanwhile, Buxton has uh, come back, and he's uh, getting AL Player of the Week honors for with a, like a 1,500 OPS or something for the last week. Um, Jose Ramirez is on track to finally get that MVP, you know, that uh, Abreu beat him for in the shortened year. And um, their pitching, like usual, has been pretty stinking good, and um, and the White Sox have been completely underperforming. So... Yeah, it's uh it, it is a frustrating bit of uh bit of baseball. Uh, and then we move on to the uh to the Texas series and again, you know, middle game more or less uh kind of a, a toss away lineup. Um and then yesterday you got uh Luis Robert trying to uh tag up and take third. And catch a guy, you know, who might not be paying attention and getting thrown out at third base to uh, to end the game, when his ultimately, you know, because they need two runs to to tie. Yeah, that run really doesn't even. It means nothing. Not, yeah, not until you get it. Yeah, and but it's you, you know you're forcing your hand with two outs at the end of the game is not the way to do that. Yeah, and I it's, don't mind being aggressive, but you have to be smart when you're aggressive. Yeah, it's just another way, you know, I understand that, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, middle school fundamentals here and everything. Um, And, you know, Luis Roberts going to be aggressive on the base pass like that, I get. Um, But just, you know, it's just another place where I feel like the fundamental... uh, aspects of what Tony was supposed to bring to the team that is severely lacking. Uh, the You know, and the bullpen management. I mean, oh, good Lord, the bullpen management. I mean... Yeah, absolutely atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. And when, I, when you start hearing about guys who should have been available in situations that probably they should have probably been used in and were not in favor of guys who had pitched, you know, maybe the day before or even two games before. And you throw them out there in a situation where you're up by a run or two. Why in the world, you know, you've got the Kendall Gravemans on the team, but we're going to throw Matt Foster out there like five days in a row, you know, cause oh, he was pitching well. He sure he's pitching well, but at some point that guy needs a rest. You'll, you're willing to rest your entire lineup in favor of Leary Garcia, but we're going to work, you know, the Matt Thorntons and the Ruizas, like, we're going to whip them. Now, and now we're seeing it with Kyle Crick since he's been called back. I'm sure he'll probably pitch the next five days. You know, I, I you know, I'm just saying, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm venting here, but. No, it's a complete, I mean, this is absolutely something that needs to be mentioned. I mean, like, Ronaldo had pitched three days in a row as of yesterday. Right. You know, and, you know, Kopech ends up, uh, here's, you know, quote unquote, here's something pop in his knee and, uh, has to be taken out of the game after 12 pitches and Reynaldo's back out there. But because Reynaldo, who is, 
you know, I'm not, he has been a good pitcher out of the bullpen. Yeah, I thought, didn't Cueto come in for him? Or no, he Cueto came got in after Reynaldo. Right, 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 right. So that's right. he you, got up the talk. Yeah, you have Reynaldo, and he pitches an inning and a third. Uh, he gets a third out in the first inning, and then he pitches the second inning. Then Cueto comes in, gives up a, a bomb, whatever, is what it is. Um, you know, the fact that Cueto came in and gave them five innings at a time where they absolutely needed five innings, and he was supposed to pitch today, um, that's, you know, a team player that's, you know, I mean, of course, the, the three-run three home run, that's that sucks. But, you know, the fact that he was willing to, to do that, and then he went out there and gave them five solid innings on short rest and not his day is is pretty awesome. Um, right. But the fact that, you know, Reynaldo's out there and, uh, you know, I have an issue with how Reynaldo has been, been being used this year. Um, <laughs> you as well as just about anybody else who's paying attention. Well, I mean, okay, so the guy was a starter. Is, you know, used to throwing 80 to 100 pitches. I mean, usually in three or four innings, like. You know, but now that but now that he's kind of sorted things out a little bit and his his focus has gotten a little better and he's had LASIK surgery and, you know, he brought the curveball back. He has been more effective. He still gives up runs, but he has been more effective. This doofus is using him for 27 pitches and then taking him out and burning him for a day. Right. This is the guy who's supposed to be your long long relief. Reliever. Exactly. So why are you bringing him in and using him for an inning and a half and then taking him out? And I understand that that was his third day in a row for that particular game, but I mean, I'm talking about a pattern for this entire year where you've had nothing but short stints for him for the most part, you know? Like it, for whatever reason, he doesn't want anybody to see him more than once and most of the time they don't see him once because he only throws to like seven or eight batters you know right and you know and you get you get the game where it's the the bullpen game with the starter they bring out the starter because you know our starting staff is supposedly taxed you know your bullpen's been so taxed because you you, you don't use them in the right way and then they're you're burning guys because you're pitching them for 12 pitches, taking them out of the game and then using them again the next day and then using them again the next day and using them again the next day. And before you know it, they're taxed too. Yeah. So, I mean, like this was, this was one thing that, uh, that I kind of roasted Ricky Renteria for in his bull, bullpen management was that he would throw eight pitchers in a game. You know, and this was before the, you know, like before the three batter minimum came in and he would go through like six, seven pitchers in one game, you know, and one guy would pitch to one, one guy, you know, I think that the issue, like one of the issues, one of the issues, because there are many issues with Tony LaRusa is that he still <laughs> has not figured out that there is a three batter minimum, you know, because he is bringing in these guys that are, you know, I mean, let's call Bennett Souza was he, what he is, which is he is a guy who gets righties out. He doesn't get lefties out. And I understand right. that he's on the team, whatever. It's it's fine. But 
you know, it's it's like he's trying to use these guys in a way that he used to use relievers back when you yeah, could pitch 90s. to one guy. But now that there's a three batter minimum, he you can't do that stuff anymore. And so using your long relief guy to pitch to four or five batters, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, especially, you know, you got Vince Velasquez, who's your other guy who's supposed to be like a kind of a long relief guy, if not a starter, you know, whatever that, you know, no labels here, but, uh, you know, he's supposed to be something. He's gone. You've got Tanner Banks and Bennett Souza, and it's just like this hodgepodge. You know, Bummer is on the IL now. You know, Kopech's not going on the IL, but his his knees barking at him. You got Lance Lynn just now, who tonight just coming back from being in Charlotte on a rehab assignment. I mean, it's just that the amount of injuries and just you know you're bringing these guys into situations that they are just not going to excel in, which is exactly what we complained about at the beginning of the season about with the way the lineups were constructed, is that. These guys shouldn't have to fight against their manager and his use of them and the other team and the mistakes right. that they make. You know, like they right. sh- you shouldn't have to be fighting three different, you know, outside forces just to just to pitch, you know, because you got defensive mistakes, you got your manager doing dumb things, and then you've got the other team. And that's if the umpire isn't you know, squeezing you or whatever, you know, or you're not having, you know, like you've got Angel Hernandez behind the plate. I mean, just, you know, throwing that out there, but. Yeah, which, you know, I kind of want to talk about that. Just I just want to touch on that. You know, the Giolito start the other day where he was looking, cruising through four and then, uh, you know, kind of blew up in the fifth inning there. That was Saturday, I believe, Saturday afternoon. Yep. Uh, You know, watching that fifth inning where he kind of, you know, he gave up the three run home run and. It, things didn't look all that great that inning, but he was being squeezed quite a bit that inning. All of a sudden, it was like the strike zone just shifted, and you could see his frustration on the mound. He was, uh, you know, it, it was clear that he was not feeling it. And you know, watching the broadcast, I was like, "Wait a minute, what just happened?" You know, he did. He, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm not going to blame the umpire for what happened in that game, but you can't tell me that it doesn't have some sort of effect on a pitcher's confidence and, you know, certain certain balls and strikes are being called a certain way all game, and then they, you know, suddenly change. You know, this guy has got this, this particular pitch working for him, and all of a sudden that pitch that's been a strike all day long is now a ball. You know, and you got to wonder how much that plays into it. But, you know, regardless, again, another snafu where I think – you know, he's at something like 82 pitches at that point in the game. And the Sox still have one run lead. I think I would have at least brought him back out to start the next inning. Uh, again, you know, we're going to go dig into the bullpen and we're just going to use a bunch of guys that have pitched, you know, the last two or three days in a row. And we're going to pitch them their third or fourth day. Uh, you know, you just got to wonder what the, the, the thought process is there. And it, to me, it doesn't seem like there's one. But, you know, going back to when we started talking about the analytics on the Trey Turner uh, walk on one, two, the intentional walk, it almost seems like he's overusing 
analytics because he's handpicking some random crazy number that really probably, like I said, is got less. It holds less value than the other numbers that point in the other direction and, and, and point in a, in a way that should you should be doing something the oh, probably the exact opposite of what you just did. So, you know, I don't know if he's some analytics guru, but it feels like he's overusing that number. Like you said, he's picking one number and he's sticking with it. And that doesn't matter what the rest of the numbers are. Uh, it's it's difficult to watch. It, it, it You know, all of these pitchers being mismanaged the way they have been most of the season. And it seems like the last couple of weeks. Now, like I said, now we've get these these awesome lineups and I would even call them awesome, but it, they're at least they're at least constructed in a way where you go, okay, this makes sense, you know? Uh, and then you see the pitching decisions just get worse. Not like they've been great all season, but now they're even worse than they were. Yeah. <sighs> maddening. Yeah. It's just absolutely uh, maddening. It's such a frustrating such a frustrating experience right now being a White Sox fan. Um, so many times on this show and everywhere else you, you look on the on the socials, you, we saw, you know, leading up to this last week or so, uh, we saw this team's not going to get very far scoring two or three runs a game and only scoring in one inning. And now we're seeing a team that's scoring six, seven, eight, nine runs and still can't get a win. <laughs> you know, where do you shift your focus? Yeah. I at this point, I don't know. You know, and uh as mentioned earlier in the chat that you know, as soon as Grandal looks like he's starting to swing a little bit better, gets a soft tissue injury. Now he's gone. Um they brought up Sebi Zavala. First game back up, doesn't hustle the first, ends up, you know, costing him and uh you know carlos perez has an injury down in charlotte so they brought xavier fernandez up to charlotte to uh you know fill in there because uh they have no sebi anymore because he's with the big league club um not hustling out balls for whatever reason and then carlos perez is injured so now they need a catcher at uh at charlotte and um yeah, I mean it's just one thing after another. You got TA's going to be starting his rehab and him going through all sorts of fun fun uh drama in his personal life which I can only imagine is going to uh you know weigh on him mentally. Yeah. Um I'm not going to, you know, speak to the uh to the situation, but I mean it's just if if you could think of just every single worst thing that could possibly go wrong, whether it be injuries or you know just moves backfiring, it's every single thing is just happening this year, and it's just you know at, at a certain point you just kind of have to chuckle about it because it's like well of course. Of course that's happening, you know? Jake Berger gets hit on the hand today with a pitch. Who knows how long he'll be out for? 
You know, of course he's been one of the best offensive players, and now he's not going to be in the lineup for a little while. Of course. Right. So we you know? get the news that, you know, Michael Kopech is avoiding serious injury and should be back sometime. They're hoping, hoping, you know, maybe like Sunday-ish. Uh, but you never know. I mean, it's a knee. They're weird, you yeah. know. But, you, you know, it, at least it's some sort of feeling of good news. You know, you never want to see Michael Kopech get hurt and, and you know, have to only throw 12 pitches and start. But, you know, you hope that the news that's coming out today is right. And then, like you said, you get the Jake Berger thing where he gets hit on the hand today. And, you know, a couple innings later, we get the news that uh, x-rays come back negative and he's day-to-day. But, you know, a guy that's been swinging a hot stick, even if nothing's broken in that hand, you know, a good deep uh, contusion, bone brew, something like that, you know, he gets back in a lineup. Who knows if he's going to be feeling that when he swings the bat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've seen it said elsewhere, like, you know, if he's out for four five, six, seven days, that could be enough to cool a hot bat in your lineup. Uh, it, 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 this team just seems to be snake bit. And when they're not, you know, your manager is doing everything he can to uh, take the hot bat out of somebody's hand. We've seen it. It was mentioned in the chat earlier. We've seen, it, you know, many times this year where a guy goes out and has a game or two. And immediately, that's the guy that gets the next day rest. Well, it was a scheduled day. Scheduled day, yes. Schedule. It was a he scheduled was day off. Unavailable. Yeah, scheduled day off. Well, you know what? Uh, as the manager, I think I can change. If I'm the manager, I'm thinking I'm changing that schedule. Why am I going to take one of my hottest hitters out of the lineup? You know what? You're hitting too hot. Let's cool you down. Yeah. If he's sore or he's injured. Tell everybody he's hurt or he's injured and he needed a day off that, you know, he's got like a, you know, whatever, like a slight pull in his hamstring or what, like whatever it is, you know, at least mention that instead of saying, you you know, like, uh, (laughs) you know, LaRusa bit. That's absolutely right. Um, Yeah. We're not snake bit. We're LaRusa bit. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, the constant, you know, same phrases you know, he was unavailable today or, you know, it was a planned day off. And it's like, not right now. Why now? Why is now the planned day off? He just had a, you know, like he takes Andrew Vaughn out of, out of, out of the lineup after he plays one day and then has a day off. And it was a planned day off. Well, you had a MLB planned day off on Monday and he's, you know, 24 years old or whatever, like, what are we doing here? If it's just because you want to keep him, you know, keep him healthy. I mean, like, you know, I understand the the rigors of a 162-game season, but at this rate, you know, Andrew Vaughn's going to play in 110 games this year. Like, what's the point? You know, like, I just... 50 games off? Yeah, like, I don't get it, you know? I mean, he's, he's taking time off, you know, in spring training because he's diving around and, you know, screwing himself up there and bruising his hip. And then, you know, now that the season's going and he's finally getting into a groove, oh, okay, cool. Well, yeah, he's got the day off now. And then the next day, he comes back and he's 0 for 4. You know? Like, what are we doing here? Like, why? I just, I, it's so frustrating and aggravating 
every single day to have to listen to the same stupid excuses for moves that are just dumb. Yeah, I I saw earlier in the chat uh, our very own Mark Orr, uh, Donuts33, if you will, uh, say that, and and this is something that him and I talked about over the weekend personally, and this is something that we've been talking about here on the show and, you know, just in the socials in general, you've heard that old line about how a manager is usually only responsible for four or five wins in either direction, whether they or, or I'm sorry, four or five uh, games in the record column, whether it be wins or losses, you know, generally over the course of a season. But I think, uh, you know, what we're seeing here with Tony LaRusa is, is, yeah, you know, maybe he can account for a win or two in some of the decisions that he's made. He made a, he made a pretty good decision on a pinch hit the other night, which, you know, I was hoping it would happen, and then it did. Tuesday night while we were at the game, made a – Made a very good call to uh, open up the floodgates on uh, the Dodgers. <clears throat> but then you see all these other poor decisions that just make absolutely no sense when you look at the numbers. And I, I have to feel like he's taken at least seven or eight from the White Sox already this season. And if he continues to do what he's going to do, he's going to blow that four or five you know, window out of the water. I mean, I, I, just blow it out of the water in the loss column. With those lineups, I got to think that he's already lost five, six games. You yeah, know? if not more, honestly. Because we've we, now we've seen in the last week and a half, we've seen what a, a fairly constructed lineup can do. You know, and we're not necessarily seeing guys in the in the right places in the lineup even now, but at least they're all grouped together. Of the best hitters are hitting at the top, and I, they're pretty close to what I would, you know, the kind of lineup I would make. They, you know, I would make some changes here and there, but you know, who am I to say? I'm just, uh, I'm just some lowly podcaster. It's <laughs> true, but you know, uh, we've seen what what a what a good lineup can look like and can do. So really, I mean, that number could quite possibly be. Far and la- far and wide larger than seven or eight games, six or seven games. You know, had this had this team had the lineup built the way it should be with some protection for your better hitters. Uh, you know, we might have seen some games that were three two losses and you know four or five losses or whatever. I shouldn't say I shouldn't use one runs because we know that you know the White Sox have been a, a pretty good record against. Uh, one run games this year, but you know some of those games where they're only scoring two and three runs. Maybe they score four, five, six runs and win a few more of those games. Imagine. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's aggravating. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Tim Anderson is starting his rehab rehab assignment tomorrow in Charlotte. Uh, Aloy, not exactly sure about. Because they halted his rehab assignment and said that they were going to start it back up, but I don't know exactly when it's coming that he's going to start that back up. Now you've got Gavin Sheets back in Charlotte, um, so you know you get a left-handed, a nice left-handed bat for the uh, 
for the Knights, which you know they've got a they got a couple of decent left-handed bats, you know, already. Uh, Adam Hazley's been killing the ball lately. Uh, granted, his OPS yeah. is still uh, you know not anything crazy. I think it's in the seven hundreds now, um, but he's been hitting really well and uh, looks like he might actually be a, a guy that could be a you know if there is an injury in the outfield, you know, heaven forbid. Uh, if there's a another injury in the outfield that it's somebody that's at least competent and he's healthy, which is something that you can't say for Aloy at this point because watching him run on that hamstring has not been pretty. Now, we've already seen him shut down his rehab twice. You know, or he got pulled from a game once and then he you know, basically didn't. You know, they brought him back after a few days after that, and he, you know, he was doing some things as rehabbing him. We see him just not play again for a while. So now this is the second time in his rehab that he's been pulled from, uh, from, well, I wouldn't say he's been pulled from the roster. We just haven't seen him play. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got to wonder. And, you know, you and I talked about this when they put out the timeline of Aloy coming back, and we thought, huh, that sounds awful. It's awful quick. quick for what that injury looked like when it happened. Anybody that watched that and saw the way he pulled up, you know, just it looked disgusting. There were uh, there were waves of muscles moving around in in a fashion in those pants. If you looked at the slow motion thing and you went, ah, something looked like it popped, you know, like a rubber band snapped underneath his pants. And, uh, you know, the way he pulled up grimacing and, you know, holding onto that leg and then going down and uh, not moving for some time. You thought, God, this looks bad. And now, you know, two times we've seen him shut down in his rehab assignment. You, you know, wonder that maybe because of the White Sox offensive woes early on in this season that they were just hoping to get this guy back. And I really don't want to see him get pushed too quickly. You know, this guy is uh, a, a phenom at the plate. Unfortunately, he can't stay healthy. And, uh, you know, thus far, so far in his career, you know, luckily he's still young. Uh, maybe he, uh, could turn out to be invincible someday, although it doesn't look like anybody on this team has the, the chance to be invincible at all during their career. Cause it ever since Herm Schneider, you know, left with his wizard's hat, you know, he, uh, you know, his, his magic wand, it seems like the dark clouds moved in rather quickly. Yeah, the only guy who can stay healthy is Lavery. And speaking of Lavery, John Rudel's bringing the heat in the chat. As dumb as this sounds, I think Tony, if Lavery gets hits, he might remove Lavery from the lineup to get some rest. Entirely possible. You never know. It is entirely possible. But, you know, here's the other thing, too. We talked about this a couple weeks ago uh, on the, the stream slash pod. Uh, you know, when Lavery hits down in the back end of the order – when he's when he slotted in the you know seven eight nine spot, his numbers increased dramatically, dramatically. And where was he tonight? I think he was hitting in the the eight hole, if I'm not mistaken, seven hole, somewhere around. I you know I don't even remember honestly. Uh, I just know you know you're watching the game tonight, mm-hmm. and Lee Uri put a, a couple of pretty big hits, squeaks a couple past the uh, third baseman, hits another one to the wall out in left field. You know. Yeah, Shocker. very, very Shocker. shocking stuff here uh, coming coming in on this 
this pod stream here. Just uh, absolutely crazy stuff that you would never have thought. Um, yes, he was batting. He's at, he's batting. Uh, yeah, he's batting seventh. All right. So, and we talked about that. His numbers in the seven, eight, and nine hole are not only passable, but in in the eight and nine hole, is they're actually pretty good. It's not terrible. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I you know, it's just you take the pressure off of this guy. And who knows, maybe pitchers pitched him a little bit differently when he's down there thinking they might be able to get away with something. I don't know, but it seems to work out for him. It's yeah. been that way for most of his career. Yeah, I mean, between him and uh, Josh Harrison, when they batted ninth, I want to say both of them had somewhere in the area of like a 140 to 170 WRC plus when batting ninth. Right. And uh, magically, you know, like, I mean, even Harrison has had a couple of decent couple of decent hits here in the last game and shockingly enough they've been line drives um not uh not ground balls or fly balls um yeah i super frustrating um on the uh plus side of things uh rickon did mention that uh yulbert sanchez and lenin sosa might be in the cards to help out the team this year, which is a positive development to at least hear that. I mean, not like, uh, not like it should really even be in question with the production that they've been getting out of the second baseman this year so far. Um, I mean, it only makes sense that you would put, you know, a, a guy that's had like a, what, like a, 180 or 170 WRC plus and double a that maybe he might be able, this guy might actually be able to hit. Um, right. Especially so. in the cavernous Birmingham stadium. The, uh, the Baron stadium is, is a, a, a vast wasteland of, uh, outfield. And to see these guys putting up those kinds of numbers down there, maybe just maybe let's bring him up to AAA and see what he can do there in the band box that is Charlotte that we've talked about so often. You know, uh, those numbers might even get better. You never know. Instead, he's blocked by Yolbert because they won't bring Yolbert up either because Josh Harrison's blocking his spot, you know, and Larry Garcia's blocking the spot. Uh, as mentioned in the chat, Romy has been playing better. Romy's finally healthy. So, yeah, so now that he's finally healthy, he's starting to hit again. Which I know again, big shocker. Um, that when a guy's got uh, you know like back issues and stuff like that, that uh, you know, and soft tissue injuries, that he's going to have some issues. Um, uh, on the um, sad front of things, uh, Yermin Mercedes was uh, DFA'd. Yeah, so. Um, my guess is that he does not resign with the White Sox. My guess is that he ends up in Japan or Korea is my guess. Um, but we'll see. Which he'll you know. probably make a decent living there. Yeah. And he'll be, he'll have, you know, uh, a Yerminator burger down there for sure. You know, cause right. he'll go there and he'll start hitting bombs. I mean, he's started to, uh, 
get out of, you know, his, his hand looks like it's feeling a little bit more comfortable after he had the surgery on his hand and whatever, you know, obviously that's going to sap power. So it shouldn't really be surprising to anybody that he wasn't like, uh, exactly lighting it up. There's going to be a little bit of a, uh, progressing, you know, a weekly progression to his, to his hitting. Um, also, um, Ryan, not Aaron Burr, uh, was also, um, they requested waivers on him to see if they can, uh, get him off the 40 man as well. So, uh, some interesting moves going on and, uh, there, there is moves being made. Um, albeit, wasn't there a certain podcast that talked about that recently? Those two names specifically? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 40 man. You know, I mean, that is what that is, but I mean, you know, uh, there's a, a bunch of moves that have been made. And like I said, albeit not the ones that uh, necessarily that, you know, we want made. Um, You know, Harrison's still kicking around and underperforming. And, you know, he's had a couple of he's had a couple of moves here and there, you know, a couple of a couple of hits, like I said. So he's done some things, um, but you know, you still got, uh, still got underperforming people doing things that, uh, you know, could probably be helped out with, uh, other players and, uh, you know, we'll see it. I think it's, uh, as the trade deadline starts coming up here. Uh, I want to say, what are we like, uh, 50 days out from the trade deadline? Is it 50? Close to 50. Anyway, if it's Gotta not, if it's not 50, um, I mean, today is what June 13th. Yeah. So it's going to be what? 48 days or something or 49 days. I think there was like 43 games between now and, uh, and the trade deadline, something like that, or 45 games. I don't know the yeah, exact exactly number, sure. but, I uh, I don't either. Yeah, it's not it's not far away, and um, I don't know if if things don't shape up here between now and and uh, say the end of June, you know, in the next three weeks. Um, so now I'm uh, I'm sorry I'm, we'll I'm I'm gonna I'm just seeing on the the screen here as I watch the Sox post game show, Kopech had. Fluid drained from his knee today. He I did. did not hear that. Yep. Swelling. Uh, usually when you have to have something drained, that's a significant amount of swelling. Uh, kind of makes you wonder how uh, he's a serious uh, injury. Swelling like that usually uh, doesn't just, I mean, it's either been building for some time, but when he says he felt something pop, and the way you saw him step off the mound to uh, take that, uh, or at least attempt a uh, a warm up toss, yeah. And he's not even able to make that warm up toss. Kind of, and you know, slam the baseball down into the grass. Ah, you know, I, I don't want to jinx it. I don't want to say what we said about the Aloy thing, but it, it has that same kind of feeling. Uh, you know. I hear the White Sox trying to, uh, you know, blow the smoke of optimism towards us. Yeah, I, I don't know. So I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just saw no, I, screen yeah. and uh, I hadn't heard that about the uh, fluid being drained yet. So 
Yep. Um, it's... I don't know. I I thought it kind of strange myself that he was talking about uh, getting fluid possibly drained today. And sure enough, he did have fluid drained. Um, it seemed kind of, uh, kind of strange to me, you know, I mean, it seems like a, uh, you know, when, when I happen to, uh, you know, just like slightly tweak my knee or my ankle or something, I don't have fluid removed the next day. Right. You know, and then some, you know, even when I was younger, I didn't have fluid removed and it would, you know, we're talking like a couple of days that it's going to take you to get back to uh, feeling normal. I can't imagine if I had an injury that was bad enough that I needed to have fluid removed <laughs> to make myself feel good within a week because they're talking about him starting next Sunday. So that's a full week off. You know, what kind of throwing is he going to be doing after after that? You know what I'm saying? Like it's going to be... You know, I, I don't know how, uh, you know, I mean, he's still going to be effective, but I mean, it seems like it would be a, something that's not going to help things, you know, and help him feel like he's in a rhythm anyway. Right. Right. You know, I guess my, my only reason for bringing it up is you, like you said, you don't generally have to have fluid removed if it's a, a slight tweak of something. And that you should be expected to be able to come back rather quickly. Uh, you know, I had fluid in my knee after my surgery. I think there's still a little bit floating around. I had, you know, but I, I, I literally went through surgery when that happened. I had a torn meniscus in two different places and a partially torn MCL and did not have to have fluid removed until my surgery. So I know everybody's built differently. Things happen differently. I don't really know. I'm not a doctor. It just seems a little off is all I'm saying. It does seem a little bit off. Uh, kind of like uh, Tim Anderson having a 10-day uh, stint with the way that that groin injury looked. Um, <laughs> mentioned it on Twitter. Didn't seem like a 10-day groin injury. Um, it it looks- has not been. <laughs> yeah, looks like it's going to be a little bit longer. Um, shocker. Um, yeah. So, uh, other good things on the farm, uh, Westcath. Ah, oh, the Flow Show Pod. Thanks for the follow. I appreciate it. Hey, all right. Um, your mean dance for you. We yep. might have to switch that yeah, up. Yeah, we're gonna have to sh- we have to switch that up now. No more your mean to kick around these uh, these here parts. Uh, so Westcath. As uh, the powers started to uh, show a little uptick, he's up to six home runs. And um, Colson Montgomery down in Kannapolis as well, he's hitting like a, somewhere around 295. He's got a 24-game on-base streak going right now. Um, last couple of games, uh, he's managed to hold on to that on-base streak with a hit-by-pitch and a walk. Uh, so... You know, not ideal, but um, again, still batting close to around 300, and uh, extra base hits have been coming. Um, it's been hitting really well. Um, also, uh, Benjamin Bailey also been hitting uh, hit a couple of home runs this last week, so uh, starting to see some of that power output from him. Uh, big, massive outfielder. 
uh, showing some of that promise that uh, everybody was talking about a few years ago when uh, they saw him at the uh, Arizona, you know, taking swings in the rookie camps. So there's uh, there's some good stuff going on down there, and uh, I think that when we see this uh, midseason uh, Baseball America and MLB pipeline and all that stuff that uh, probably Colson Montgomery is probably going to end up sneaking up in that uh, top 100, I would think. Uh, I don't think that they can dog him just because he's uh, drafted as a 19-year-old anymore because he's putting up some decent numbers. So, um, yeah, DSL also. Uh, well, I think they lost their first game today, but I think they're six and one. There's been some, uh, some good stuff happening down there. Uh, Eric Hernandez hitting the crap out of the ball, multi-hit games in at least four, four or five games, I think. Um, there's also, uh, um, I'm trying to remember, uh, who the, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, trying to remember his name. Uh, also been killing it as well, and he's a recent signee as well. Uh, something with an L. Uh, Ledoil, something Ledoily, something. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> Ledoily. Ledoily. French. Yeah, he's uh, he's from Haiti. He's French. Ledoily. Um, yeah, I can't remember his uh remember his name off the top of my head, but he's also been killing it. There's been a bunch of guys down there. The pitching, you know, as per usual, DSL pitching, not exactly uh, phenomenal, but they've had a couple of guys that have, have you know, thrown some decent innings and uh, kept scoring down in the DSL, which is usually not one of the strong points of the DSL, specifically right. for the White Sox DSL teams usually. No. <laughs> um <laughs> Defense and pitching usually in short order. Uh, but, um, yeah, there are some things that are going to start pushing this, this system up in the rankings. Obviously, the Lenin-Sosa thing is probably going to be big. Uh, Colson-Montgomery also a bigger thing, you know. Yulbert playing pretty stinking well and somebody you know said in the chat that he had cooled down and yeah he's cooled down but he's still hitting like 290 and still getting a hit of you know usually at least a hit a game uh cespedes lately power uptick has been happening which has been nice to see still strikeout numbers still need to still need to come down they're they're getting uh, they're a little bit better but uh, strikeout number still, still up a little bit higher than you would like it, and uh, the s- pitch selection not as good as you would like. Um, but I will tell you, the <laughs> the speed on the base pass from Uelke in the last uh, just shown in the last week, dude's been flying all over the place, uh, scoring from first base on singles and. I mean, it's it's been fun to watch. Um, yeah, so uh, Oscar Colas uh, had uh, a couple of uh, – he had a home run the other day. Um, also, uh, he's walked off. I think he's got like three or four walk-offs this year. Uh, it's probably three. I think it's three walk-offs this year. Okay, I'd um, like to see a little more consistency out of him, but not yeah. terrible. 
Yeah, you know, I, I kind of have to wonder with Coloss whether it is a focus issue. Um, because it seems like whenever a big moment comes up and when, when he's focused um, on the big moment, uh, it seems like it, he usually comes through. So I'm kind of trying to figure out if it's a, um, you know, if it's a, if it's a focus focus issue in the other parts of the games. I've also heard some stories about some goofy stuff going on with him when he's DHing, and um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I, I think that a level advancement could do him well. Um, but the issue is, is, you know, again, back to this, this organization with keeping guys down because there's other people quote unquote blocking them. I mean, they know who are going to be the guys who are going to rise through the system and they know the guys that are likely going to end up being four a players. You know, I mean, they have some guys that are decent, but if you are going to keep these guys at the level they're at just because you don't want to send them down, meanwhile, you're stifling the growth of guys that are supposed to be coming up underneath them, it doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, right. couldn't agree more. I mean, we've seen this multiple times, and it seems to be one of those things that this team does a lot and i you know i'll give them the benefit of the doubt obviously i'm not a you know i'm not chris getz um and i don't get to hang out in the you know in the uh in the boardroom and i don't get to talk with the managers and hear about things that are going on i mean i do hear little tidbits here and there about uh about stuff down there but you know I'm sure that there's there's some things going on down there that we don't know about, but I will say, just by the numbers, it seems to me that, and the fact that the, that we're talking about this happening in multiple instances just this year, um, it seems like it's just an organizational thing, and it's like, yeah, you kind of gotta wonder if that's coming from the top, you know, uh, it's uh, that yes. kind of thing. It's 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 that. Uh, that philosophy that, you know, we spent this money on this guy, so we're going to give him every opportunity because of, you know, what he's owed and what we thought he was going to do. And then, you know, I, I get that train of thought, but at the same time, you know, again, we're talking about a team that's supposed to be in its really at the height of its competitive window. And, uh, you know, now is the time when you start making moves that say, okay, we're really going for it. Uh, to me, you gotta you gotta, you know, learn when to write off these decisions that didn't quite work out the way you hoped for, and put your team in the best position to go ahead and do what you're saying by going for it. Yeah, you know? I think I think uh, the the problem I have is just the insistence of keeping all of them. You know, I it's like. The uh, you know I'm sitting here watching um, MLB trade rumors and the uh, this minor league uh, baseball transaction site that we follow, 
Um, and just seeing all these guys getting you know, just today, you know, there's like a list of like five or six teams that have dropped like 50 guys, you know, from the minor league system. And, you know, I mean, yes, we had Ryan Burr and we had uh, Yermin, but I mean, this that's because their 40-man roster is such a train wreck because they're hanging on to guys on the 40-man, like we were talking about last week, that they're hanging on to these guys that just, there's no just reason. Right. There's no need. There's a handful of guys that don't need protection that you, you want to keep in your organization, sure. You don't want them to uh, get scooped up. But at the same time, there's probably little to no chance that they would be scooped up and they're just they're just holding on to a 40-man roster spot for no apparent reason other than you're too afraid that somebody might say hey let's give this kid a shot when you know essentially there's really nothing that says that kid deserves a shot from another team yeah i mean how about this you have the 30th ranked minor league system in baseball. And the fact that, you know, you're holding on to some of these guys, you know. They are not going to improve anybody else's higher ranked farm system. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not going to improve anybody else's system. So why are you so worried about promoting somebody over these guys because of that? It's like it's kind of weird logic there. I, I don't know. Yes, I know. Lloydell Chapelli. Yeah, once I saw the Chapelli, I remembered the Lido- the Loydell part. Um, yeah, Duke Ellis, man, that guy, guy plays with his head on fire. It is awesome. Oh, and you <laughs> want to talk about a guy that can move? I yeah. mean, he looks like he's gliding around the base pass too. He just looks like a gazelle out there sometimes. Yeah, guy fires me up every time I like, and just watch him. He like when he's coming, he hit a home run the other day. Comes back in the in the dugout, he's like, ah, you know, like a crazy person. Love it. Um. Yeah, and he's yeah, like, flying all over the place in the uh, in the field. You know, he uh, jumping off. You know, bouncing into walls, catching fly balls. Not you know like Aaron Rowan bouncing into walls, but you know actually like an outfielder, not a linebacker, running into walls. <laughs> um, yeah, and just like the the nervousness from pitchers when he's on on base. He creates runs just by himself because they are they can't take his their eyes off of him. And because of that, you know, you end up getting box called and pitch clock violations and he moves along to the next base for free after he steals the first base. Yeah, I mean it's just a lot of fun to watch. Um and I did mistakenly say that we did not draft him. Um and that the Padres drafted him, but the Padres did draft him. Uh, they just drafted him in two thousand. Uh, was it seventeen? I think. Uh, yes, seventeen. And, yeah, and we signed him uh, out of Texas after after school. So I was I was wrong. He is a hundred percent ours. Not uh, not coming from anywhere else. For some reason, I thought that uh, he ended up signing with the Padres out of school, and then they released him in the pandemic season, but. For whatever reason, that is not the case. Well, no, not for whatever reason, but that is not yeah, the we'll, case. Yeah, we'll issue a retraction on that one. Thank you. I would like to issue one. 
Um, yeah, Duke Ellis, awesome. Yeah, I mean the 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 problem with the Winston Salem Dash, and this is, you know, I'm going out, you know, saying that this is a problem, but you have Oscar Colas, you have Duke Ellis, you have Luis Mieses, you have Terrell Tatum. Terrell Tatum. Too many outfielders at Winston Salem. And, you know, I'd say, I, you know, I like Terrell Tatum's skill set a lot. Uh, and he did go on a tear for like a week where he, he got like something like 24 hits in one week or something like that. I and mean, it was something insane. And, uh, um, but the thing is, is that, you know, that happened for a week and he's kind of cooled off in the last week and he still got a, it's he still had like one or two multi-hit games. Uh, and still did some things on the base pass and played fantastic defense. The other day he went 0 for 0 with four walks. What? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, you know, that's I think that issue that they're having with that in uh, Winston-Salem is the perfect uh, indicator of what happens when you do away with, you know, I got a, a, a ridiculous amount of teams across the you know, minor leagues in the baseball when you got rid of your low A teams and you know we can go on and on about that all we want to but you know it's we kind of knew right it's not going it's not changing uh we kind of knew that this was going to make things a little weird and it has it has you know you can't stockpile the young guys like you once did and and unfortunately when you do have those guys down there, some of them are going to miss some uh, some playing time and some at bats. You know, uh, there's just not enough space to put these guys anymore. And you know, say what you want about watering down talent, but by eliminating those those low A teams, you eliminated a place for the younger guys to uh, learn to develop. That's the that's the main issue, and that 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 really is the big key. Yeah, that's the big takeaway. Uh, we got a so question. It's in unfortunate, chat. but. Okay. Uh, from Flow Show Pod says, "Do you see the 2022, 2022, uh White Sox team getting in the postseason in the old format from last season, based off where they're at?" As of right now, uh, before the expanded playoffs that we're going to see this year, I would say no. Yeah, but I, I you know, I, I am on the still, you know. 100 plus games left in the season and there is the possibility of turning things around. I, I'm not I'm not against that that train of thought whatsoever, but we have to see more consistency out of our big league manager, our our, our big league club manager. Um, you know, there's indications the last week and a half or so that maybe you're going to do things on a more traditional uh, basis here where we're actually going to put some decent lineups together. But at the same time, there's indications that now we're, we're now that we're putting good lineups together, we're going to mismanage the, the pitching even more than we already have. So, I mean, just based on that, I, I can't say a hundred percent that there's going to be a turnaround. So I would say no, but it's not a solid no. Yeah. In the, in the old format uh, with the way that the AL East has been going, Right now, they've got all the they've got the wild card spots and and their spot as well. Um, I just yeah, man, I it def in the old format, absolutely. Like I, I don't see them winning the division. I don't see them getting the wild card with the way that you've got uh, 
with the Blue Jays, you know? Yeah. Well, see, I mean, this is the thing, though. Well, the reason I say I don't want to completely sell out against that is because I do believe there's still a chance with there's the lineup and the roster. I should say not the lineup, but with the way this roster is constructed uh, and with the return of some injured players that they could overtake the division from the Twins at some point. you know. And it's it's not outside the realm of possibility that the Twins go through some of their own uh, missteps. Hmm. Being that you know the White Sox have had a, a little bit of a tougher schedule in the middle part of the season here, they have, and the Twins the Twins are going to hit that uh, tar, part of the tar, that tougher part of their schedule coming up here. Uh, you know, so there's there are reasons to believe that the White Sox could catch the Twins and still win a division. I just again I have my reasons for not being 100 percent sold on that, and I you know as I stated just a few minutes ago. Yeah, there was something going around from Baseball Prospectus on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if you saw it or not, um, but it was a chart of the injuries uh, suffered by team and uh, most uh, value lost. And I'll tell you what, the White Sox were in the middle of the pack, like almost dead in the middle of the pack. Twins have had it worse. No kidding. Yeah, I I mean – I know that it doesn't seem like it, and it seems like the uh, the whole world is crashing in. But, I mean, I guess the way you have to look at it is that the guys that have gotten injured, the value that you think that that we think when we see these guys go down, the value we see, and the value that's been produced before, you know, like it's actually been produced by them, it's not, it hasn't been all that high so far this year. So, technically, you know, with total value lost... Yeah, these guys haven't been hitting anyway, so you're not technically really losing a whole lot. But I mean, we know that you know technically we're looking at uh, you know with Aloy going down that the value should be there. Granted, the first ten games that he played or whatever was not indicative of his value, and also right. last year he had his issues there as well. You know, with the with the peck and everything. I mean, like just colossal amount of stupid injuries but at the same right. time and, you know the longer tim sits out i'm sure that value missed will kind of go up a little bit if michael kopech misses any time the value missed will go up a little bit yep uh so, but i guess as it stands right now you know if they're middle of the pack so still though you know this is a team that you don't even want to even see in the middle of the pack and you know maybe we're a little jaded for after all of the herm schneider years where you know, the injuries just seemed to elude the White Sox almost completely. It seemed like for such a long time, it was like for like a decade almost, they were like the, the least injured team in baseball. And now, you know, I, I guess uh, I guess the, the injury gods are making up time here, it seems like, you know. So, I, you know, I get I don't know how they calculate this number about value lost. I didn't look uh, too I'm deeply not, into not, it, but. I'm not arguing against it. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, we know what these guys are capable of. We've seen it in the past. But, again, you know, you're talking about guys that are oft injured. So, really, what does their value add up to? Because if they can't stay healthy, then maybe they're not as valuable as we I think they are. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like the uh, perceived value is not the – Right, actual, actual value from people who are actually looking at numbers. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I think I'm going to, I'm going to call it for the week here. Uh, I have a very early start time tomorrow at work. Uh, They're filming a TV show at my work. Um, Yeah. Yeah. A spinoff of the uh, Justified series. Filming that over at my old place of employment. So um, I get to hang out there and uh, change all sorts of stuff for them so they can uh, film and everything goes well. We get a, we get an Ian Eskridge uh, cameo? No, sir. Make the, um, no? I don't, uh, don't want to even have a part in that, huh? You know, I mean, I want an IMDb credit, if that's anything. Um, that would be kind of cool, but... Uh, yeah, as, but, a, yeah. as a sound engineer, why not? Yeah, well, it won't be as that. I mean, it'll be as like <laughs> uh, you know, uh, on-site, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever on-site personnel or whatever. Yes, oh, yeah. exactly like NFTs, pusher robot. That is exactly right. Perceived value, not actual value. Um, there you go. That that is that is an NFT <laughs> is one hundred percent the correct analogy for what I was saying. Um, I think, you know, as much as I see some of these MST, NFTs get sold for, I mean, ridiculous amounts of money. I think I'm just going to start doodling on my, uh, my touch screen here. Hey, if somebody will buy it, if somebody will buy it and pay good money for it, I say 100%, you absolutely should. Um, yeah. So hopefully things start, uh, shaping up here and we can hopefully get, both sides of this team going the pitching and the hitting at the same time uh because watching one side or the other is not fun no i'm still holding out hope here i i am you know it's not as early as it was once where everybody and their brother was trying to tell us it's early yeah. hang in there this team hits when it warms up well, it's been warm for a while now, and it's just now starting to hit. Yeah. Uh, well, they have to do know, it this week because they've got Detroit, and they, you know, Houston hasn't been as good as as normal uh, so far this year, and that's the next series after Detroit here. Um, but the Astros yeah, over, in the last over this like, next, what's that? Oh no, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say over this next week when mid to upper 90s, you know, for. The better portion of the next, you know, seven or eight days, whatever. Uh, if they don't hit, then we're going to get. Well, it's too hot. <laughs> it's too hot. They're 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 dehydrated and yeah, they're possibly heat stroke. And, eh. Yeah, the it's, unfortunate it's bit though is that you know you go into Houston and uh, you know they've been hitting the crap out of the ball in the last last week, and Jordan Alvarez signed his contract ex- extension and is celebrating by hitting 500 foot home runs, which is just well, what we you know, need he's, to see. He's, he's got one less thing on his plate to worry about. He can take off his mind. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, if, uh, if Kopech isn't back by Sunday, uh, that means that, uh, Lance Lynn will be just in time to take up that, uh, that spot on Sunday. Uh, because they said that he was going to be the one who was going to take up that start, which uh, I don't know if you remember how well he does against Houston Astros in his career. Not so good. Um, so that's something to look into. Uh, but then, you know, after that, 
They play the Blue Jays. So back to playing a team that is one of the top teams in the league again. So yeah. even though they have, yeah, even though they have the easiest, you know, last part of the schedule after, you know, the other day, um, I actually do like the Father's Day hats. I think the Father's Day hats look nice, actually. Um, normally, I think they look, eh, they're What's okay. That, uh, the powder blue, right? The black yeah. with the powder blue logo? Yeah. This I, th- I think this, this year, I think that they look pretty, I think they did a pretty nice job with them this year, actually. Um, like a metallic shimmering blue. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you Yeah, I don't know if it's they do. like that, but it's like a little bit fatter. And then the inside of the uh, inside of the logos, uh, you know, like blue um, instead of like the whole logo being blue, which is kind of right. cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, uh, you know, I know that they've got the easiest schedule in the league after what the other, you know, as we were starting to play Texas. So technically they should be, uh, they should be super happy. Cause, uh, you know, once they started playing Texas, now their schedule is easy. I've been told. Um, and then they proceed to go out and lose two out of three. So, um, I don't know. We'll see where this thing's headed, man. I, I like the next like three weeks, like that's pretty much it. You know, like we see how this goes in the next three weeks, you know, leading up yeah. to this trade deadline, it's we're rolling into the All Star Game coming up here in a few weeks, and uh, that's usually a pretty good barometer of where your team is is going and should, you know, either start thinking about the postseason or you know, kind of giving up on that. And uh, we'll see how the front office reacts to where the team is at that point. But uh, you know, like I said, there's still hope, but. Uh, it's 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 thinning as each game passes yep so yeah you know um yeah i was brought up earlier in the in earlier in the chat about uh who trade pieces would possibly be come trade deadline and uh i don't want to talk about that yet i want to give that a cup i want to give it a couple of weeks to marinate first because you have to know what you're, you know, like what we're looking at before we start selling guys down the river. How about this, though? I will say, uh, Josh Harrison, he's a trade con- candidate. Uh, he can go. I'll trade him. I'll trade him for big money. Big money. Big money superstar. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they screwed that one up. Um, yeah, so, uh, well, thanks, everybody, for coming and hanging out in the chat. And um, thanks for uh, keeping us uh, lively over here and giving us a couple things to talk about and um, and listening to us uh, sit here and talk about White Sox baseball and, uh, you know, get overly emotional about things that a, no grown man should get as attached to as they do. Um <laughs> We and thanks for uh, not making us feel like we're alone. So we, yeah, we there's that as well. We're not the only ones <laughs> who want to, you know, punch our couch after watching a White Sox game. Um, but uh, thanks for coming in and watching and hanging out. And uh, every Monday at 9 p.m. we do this White Sox daily live thing. And uh, please come back next week. Um, we will be on again. And hopefully with uh, some pleasant things to talk about. Uh, 
less uh, less angry things and more happy things. That's what we are always looking for. Um, my name is Ian Eskridge. For my co-host, the Danny Miller. You guys have a wonderful night, and we will see you guys next week. Thank you.